This is your host, Dr. Mesma Shabazz. Good afternoon, ladies, and happy Friday. I'm so happy to be here with you again and to talk about something different, about celebrating life in the moment. When you listen to the news, especially these days, you can't help but feel gloomy. You're told the world is coming to an end and everything in our experience is atrocious. But then you look again and there are beautiful moments all day long that we can celebrate with our families, friends, and even acquaintances. We still have the rise and the setting of the sun. We still have clouds, rainbows, rain, food, etc. Be happy for whatever seems little. It is still something. Only happy people can make a happy world. When I googled the celebration of life, and at the top were all references to death and dying, and looking into the past, past memories, and momentary periods of joy. But what do we do about expression of joy, happiness, celebration in the present moment? I came across an article as I was reflecting on this, written by Rene Dubois, whose reflections on this topic seem to be on point. And it goes like this. As I lie here in a hospital bed, I am more convinced than ever that life can be celebrated and enjoyed under the most trying and humble of circumstances. The warmth of parents hugging their children, the fathomless joy of smiling faces, the sensate pleasures of a stroll down a country lane or through the bustling diversity of a city street have not been increased by education or civilization. I always have in mind the expression of bliss in the eyes of a young Australian Aboriginal girl as she anticipated eating a fat, delectable lava she had just extracted from under the bark of a tree. And I have never forgotten my own walk in Ile de France with my mother when I was seven years old. For months, I had been confined to my room, recovering slowly from rheumatic fever. In that short walk to buy milk, I became intensely aware of the springtime, chattering of the birds, the perfume of flowering trees, the soothing warmth of the rays of the sun, 
and the happy smiles of the neighbors we met. From then until now, I have known that simply being alive is the greatest blessing we can enjoy. But the disarray and disenchantment so common in the technological societies of our times reveal the extent to which many of us fail to take advantage of this innate ability to appreciate the simple wonders of life. Abundance of goods, physical comfort, and control of disease are clearly not sufficient to bring about individual happiness and harmonious social relationships. Everywhere in the countries shaped by Western civilization, the amenities of existence are threatened by environmental degradation and existential nausea. The mountain roster of material and psychological problems creates the impression that humankind has lost control of its affairs. The deteriorating conditions in our cities, our adversarial relationship with nature, the futile occupations that waste our days are unnecessarily and unconsciously determined more by technological imperatives than by our choice of desirable human goals. To rediscover our innate celebration of life, the first obstacle to be overcome is the widespread belief that things are now going from bad to worse and that little can be done to reverse the trend. Countless expressions that reinforce this defeatist mood can be found in the writings of economists, sociologists, and environmentalists. Certainly, great tragedies do exist in the world today. Paradoxically, however, much contemporary gloom comes not from actual tragic situations, but from the prospect of social and technological difficulties that have not yet occurred and may never materialize. We are collectively worried because we accept the highly inaccurate predictions that if demographic and technological growth continues at the present rate, the earth will soon be overpopulated and its resources depleted. Food shortages will be catastrophic. Pollution will alter the climate, poison the environment, 
rot our lungs and dim our vision. I believe, as do many others, that the industrial civilization will eventually collapse if we do not change our ways. But what a big if this is. Human beings inevitably alter the course of events and make mockery of any attempt to predict the future from an extrapolation of existing trends. In human affairs, the logical future determined by past and present conditions is less important than the world future, which is largely brought about by deliberate choices made by the human free will. Our societies have a good chance of remaining prosperous because they are learning to anticipate long in advance the shortages and dangers that they might experience in the future if they do not take technologically sound preventative measures. A key to overcoming the passivity born of pessimism is to remember that the really important problems of our times are not technical. They originate in our thoughts, our uncertainties, or our poor judgment concerning parascientific values. Unclear values allow us to accept the possibility of nuclear war for reasons of national prestige when every sensible person knows that the inevitable result of nuclear warfare would not only be immense suffering for humans and immeasurable damage to every living and inanimate thing on earth, but also the virtual collapse of Western civilization. Poor value judgment also leads us to ignore an already existing tragedy, the greatest pollutant of our peacetime world, youth unemployment, because they are not given the opportunity to function in normal society by being meaningfully employed. Youth and our young people are organizing themselves into social groups of their own. Their struggle for their inalienable rights will inevitably lead to disastrous social conflict. Yet, there's no reason to wallow in despair. The success of several public and privately financed youth conservation programs leaves no doubt that even delinquent youngsters can be reintegrated into normal society by being given the opportunity to do meaningful work. This is against the backdrop of our youth shooting innocent people in grocery stores 
and the like, born out of hatred. In Europe and in Japan, I remind us that we can choose the world we live in by changing even these enormous threats to our existence. One step at a time. How? By thinking globally, but acting locally. This is the motto of the Center for Human Environments at Wave Hill in Riverdale, New York. They have begun documenting stories of how single individuals have started movements that successfully changed the social and biological environments around them. Lakes, rivers, mine adjacent land, once given up for dead, have been rejuvenated, as have the communities that flank them. The Industrial Revolution plays a premium on the kind of intelligence, knowledge, and skills best suited to the invention of manufactured articles, as well as to their production and distribution on a large scale. In contrast, a really humanistic society will have to emphasize skills that facilitate better human relationships and a more creative interplay between nature, technology, and humankind. Such a society would prize happiness over the achievements of power and the acquisition of wealth. Happiness is contagious. For this reason, its expression is a social service and almost a duty. The Buddhists have a saying about this commendable virtue. Only happy people can make a happy world. And since optimism and cheerful spirits are indispensable to the mental health of technological societies. The most valuable people may turn out to be not those with the greatest ability to produce material goods, but those who, through empathy and happiness, have the gift of spreading a spirit of goodwill. We are still on the way, renewing and enriching ourselves by moving on to new places and experiences. Wherever human beings are involved, social adaptations make it certain that trend is not destiny. Life starts anew every day for all of us, with each sunrise. I'd like to close with this. In Paul Selig's Alchemy, which I read recently, it says, let me know I am one with all things, that I may see or know 
are of one source. Different expressions of the infinite that has come as what? As manifest as the world I see or know. The body as of God. The organs in the body as of God. The skin of God. The eyes of God. The lips and tongue of God. The hands of God. All in expression, in vibration. I know what I am, and to move beyond the body, the air in the lungs of God, the light in the room, the sunlight beyond the room, the moonlight beyond the room, whatever may exist beyond the room of God, because Everything is of God. All things may be renowned. I'll say that again. Because everything is of God, all things may be renowned. And from this place of agreement, I am willing to know things as of God. If we have the capacity and recognizing everything is of God, we can recreate our world and experience. A celebration is called for in every moment because we see the beauty in all things. Let's remember, only happy people can make a happy world. Many, many, many blessings to all of you. And I'll see you again in a couple of weeks, God willing. Thank you.